0: A very good morning to you all. If you'd like to grab, uh, grab a seat, grab your coffee, grab a donut. Very welcome here this morning. If you're new or you're visiting, you're particularly welcome. If you are new or visiting, in one of the black pouches near you, you'll see a green Connect card. Do fill that out, hand it in to Josh at the, the PA desk at the back, and we'll send you some information or go over to the green goodie bag table over there and we'll give you a goodie bag. And If you've got a Bible, uh, dig it out and turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, over the last uh, last week, if uh, you were here, last week we were looking at how it is when we're facing all kinds of uncertainty, how it is that we are learning to handle our hearts with hope. How are, we handling, uh, how are we learning to handle our hearts with hope in the midst of all of the stuff that life uh, throws at us? In John chapter 16, you'll be familiar with these words of Jesus. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. And then he says, in this world you will have trouble. Awesome. Awesome. In this world you will have trouble, he said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And basically what Jesus is saying, a bit of a paraphrase, Jesus is saying life uh, life may well get a little bit tricky. Things may be challenging. You may find yourself in kinds of all kinds of difficulty and trouble. But in the middle of all of that difficulty and trouble, what Jesus is saying, I want you to have peace. I want you to learn how to handle your hearts with hope because, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. And the truth is, when it comes to the prospect of facing trouble, when it comes to facing challenges in our life, um, most of us, if we're sensible, we kind of run in the opposite direction. We sense trouble, difficulty, challenge coming, and most of us head in the opposite direction. We like that bit of the Lord's Prayer that says, deliver us from evil, you know, which is good. That's a good prayer. That's a good prayer to pray. And so we pray, God, oh God, oh God, keep that stuff away from my door. Keep difficulty away from me. Let today go well. Please, you know. Lord, let my life go swimmingly. We pray, please, just make sure nothing bad happens. Because What happens to us um, when we do, in fact, find ourselves facing trouble? What happens to us when we find ourselves facing difficulty? What happens when we do come against challenge in this life, which inevitably we all do? What can happen far too often is that when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we can struggle. What can happen is when we find ourselves in a challenging situation, that we may not have faced before, is that we find ourselves not really knowing how to handle it. What can happen so often is that the proverbial wheels fall off and we find ourselves all at sea. But what we were saying last week is that God has put so much hope in us that it's actually when we're in the darkest places, it's actually when we're at the darkest points of our lives, it's in the darkest situations that we are designed to shine brightest. And as we reflected over the last uh, 12 months, we've been doing that for the last couple of weeks, as we look back over uh, 2015, uh, some of us have found ourselves in some pretty dark places. Some of us over the last few months, last 12 months, have found ourselves in some, uh, facing some pretty difficult times. Some of us have realized, some of us maybe just for the first time, that Jesus was absolutely right when he said, in this world, you will have trouble. Um, It may have been through health scares that we've faced, or it may have been relationship troubles that we've had, or challenges at work, or challenges with our finances, or it may have been through grief, or through loss. But some of us have been through difficult situations over the last uh, few months. Here's the thing. Sometimes... God will allow us to be led into places that are pretty dark. Sometimes God will allow us to be led into places that are pretty dark. Sometimes God will allow us to be led into places that are pretty hopeless. Sometimes God will allow us to be led into places of difficulty, places that are difficult. And we're kind of like, why on earth would he do that? Why on earth would you do that? Well, I believe, and we've, we've seen it time and time again. I believe that God allows it um, so that we can, in fact, become the very people that he's called us to be. I believe that God allows it so that we can actually become all that he's called us to be, which is um, beacons of hope in dark places. The Lord does it. The Lord allows it, I believe, so that he can reveal the hope that he's put in us and he can reveal the people that he's calling us to be. It's a bit like you only really know what's in the tube of toothpaste. Do you know when the tube of toothpaste gets squeezed? You kind of hope it's Colgate and you hope it's, you know, um, you never really know until you give it a squeeze. And this morning what I want us to do, I want, to look at, I want us to look a little bit more um, about how it is that we learn to handle our hearts uh, with hope. How it is that we learn to handle ourselves when we realize that we're uh, living in a world um, of trouble. So if you've got a Bible, tell me to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus, second book of the Bible, right towards the beginning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some up here at the front. I'm just going to quickly read through it. We're going to read from uh, Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. So it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Hardwood, between Hardwood and the sea. Uh, They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite to Hardwood. Pharaoh will think, Ah, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. Awesome. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. Look at this. And the Egyptians, interesting it says the Egyptians, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled... Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go. We've lost all of their services because they were slaves. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near these places. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Got to love leading people. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Look at this. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who'd been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Wow. So, okay, so, maybe a familiar story. Pharaoh has finally let the Israelites go um, and uh, the Lord has got Moses to lead them uh, to the Red Sea, basically. Uh, verse one, the Lord says to Moses, tell the Israelites to go and camp. It's basically what he's saying, camp by the sea. And, um, and Pharaoh, verse three, Pharaoh will think that the Israelites are just wandering around uh, in confusion. They don't know where they're going, and they're hemmed in by the desert. And then in verse 4, God comes up with this great plan. God comes up with this awesome idea. God, in all his glory and greatness, says, I know, I will will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them and hunt them down, basically, and kill them. And we're kind of like, awesome, great plan. Basically what God is saying to Moses, he's saying, Moses, this is what obedience looks like right now. This is what obedience looks like. What I want you to do is I want you to take my people, Moses, and I want you to lead them actually to a really hard place. And just when you, couldn't, you, know, you thought it couldn't get much worse, they're in this hard place, they're stuck in the desert, they've got the sea on one side. Uh, you, you, know, you, you think things are hard enough for them, and um, it, it kind of gets worse because God says that he's going to do this great thing, he's going to harden Pharaoh's hearts so that he comes after them. And uh, we're looking at this and we're going, oh, it's just bananas. It's just like, this is a terrible idea, you know? It's like, what, what's this about? You know, we look at this, we read this, and we say, no wonder people just read the New Testament. Just read on to the rest of verse 4. Then then the Lord says, but I will gain gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and all the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. The Israelites did this. Okay. On uh, on Monday and Tuesday of this week, uh, we met together with... Um, The amazing leaders that we have here in this church. We are incredibly privileged. The Lord has sent us such an incredible an incredibly gifted bunch of leaders and uh, we spent Monday and Tuesday evenings with them and and we spent some time looking back and reflecting over all the things that the Lord has done in and through us uh, as a church over 2015 as well as thinking ahead and, and, and praying and prophesying as to some of the things that the Lord might want to do in and through us as a church over 2016. And they were they were fantastic evenings. They were great evenings. It was great to hear stories of how people have seen Jesus at work through things like the job club and through things like the food bank and in the worship, uh, how people have seen Jesus at work through the great job that um, Manny and Sinead are doing uh, in and through and the teams are doing in and through things like Vineyard Kids and all the exciting stuff that's going on with the youth and um, stories about what the Lord's doing through all the wonderfully new, wonderful new people that the Lord has been sending us here and, and what's happening through the yard which is our community outreach space through things like Little Fish and the counseling services that are set up there and, and through things like Alpha and on, and on and on and on and on these wonderful stories and it was so encouraging to hear it was just great great uh, to hear it was particularly great for Kate and I to hear, because as we reflected on 2015 while we were away at Christmas, we we thought 2015 was actually a pretty tricky year. We thought 2015 was actually quite um, a difficult year for us. It, looking back over 2015, a lot of 2015 felt that um, it was about us trying to be faithful, trying to be obedient to what we felt the Lord was calling us to, as a church, even though at times it felt a bit like hard work. Even though at times it, it didn't feel great. It felt hot. So um, looking back over 2015, we started the year, we started 2015 planting, um, sending out our third church plant in three years. Um, knowing that that was actually going to be pretty hard for us as a sending church you know three babies in three years um that's quite a lot you know we're we're not designed that way and there's there's a good reason for that you know and and we knew that it was going to be great for Stephen viv who who, who lead the church we knew it was going to be great for balaam but we also knew it was going to be hard for us Uh, We knew that we were going to have to find ways to make sure that the job club and the food bank and all of the things that are happening at the yard, we knew that we were going to have to find ways for those things to to carry on regardless of all the changes. And uh, by the grace of God and by the incredible hard work of so many of you, those things haven't just carried on. They've they've flourished and they've thrived. Uh, Over 2015, we knew that we were going to have to find someone to take on Vineyard Kids. And we had no idea uh, where that was going to come from, how that was going to come about. Over 2015, we knew that we were going to have to find a way to keep um, the youth ministry going, and we had no idea how that was going to happen. We knew that 2015 was going to be a year where we'd be saying goodbye to a whole bunch of people, um, many of whom had been part of this church for a number of years as they either went off and joined uh, church plants or, you know, headed off to the country for their patch of green grass and fresh air. Um, and, and so, you know, in the midst of so many wonderful things happening, so many incredible things happening that the Lord is doing, 2015 felt sometimes a bit like a, a year, certainly for us as, from our perspective as church leaders, where the Lord um, was calling us to, that we were to just do our very best to walk in faithful obedience to what it was that God was calling us to, regardless of how it felt. And that's exactly what's happening here in Exodus 14. It's exactly what's happening here in Exodus 14. God is saying, Moses, this is what obedience looks like sometimes. Um, Take my people and let them find themselves in a hard place. And I think there's something in here in this this passage in in Exodus 14 that is is there not only for us as individuals but for us as a church. And I think it's going to help us gain a slightly better perspective on perhaps where we've come from over the past 12 months or so. And the truth is this is one of those um, awkward texts that we find particularly in the Old Testament. And um, we come across them and we teach them um, because... As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, uh, 2 Timothy, we believe that all scripture is God-breathed. We believe that all scripture is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, because for the very purpose that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, So every bit of it is useful uh, and God-breathed. And so if we find some of this challenging, if we find some of this tricky... Might I suggest, humbly, that it might be our hearts and us that needs to change, rather than the word of God? Just throw that out there. Okay. Why would God take us through this kind of thing? What possible purpose could he have in it all? Isn't God supposed to be in my life to rescue me? Isn't God supposed to be in my life to liberate me? Isn't God supposed to be in my life to give me abundant life? You know, so lining us all up to get attacked by Pharaoh and a whole bunch of supercharged Egyptian chariots and horsemen doesn't sound massively like abundant life to me. Why would God bring the Egyptian uh, the, the Israelites and and us through our experiences into these kind of places of confinement where we're up against the sea on one side, the desert sort of, you know, over there, and then just the Egyptian hordes descending upon us? Why would God bring us into this kind of place of challenge where Pharaoh and all his armies are just bearing down on us? And the truth is, when we're, when we're being really honest with God, these are the kind of questions that surface. These are the things that just bubble up in our hearts. And so we find ourselves backed up against the sea with the desert in front of us going, Why, Lord? What the heck's going on? Why, 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 why? And it's at times like that, it's at times like this, um, that I think it is incredibly important for us to remember and to realize that there is something more important to God than our comfort. Don't throw things. It's not nice. There is something more important to God than our comfort. Hard as it may be for us to hear, God's goal for our lives is not our comfort. That will happen. okay? God God does comfort us. God is good and he's gracious and he's kind and he's loving and he's an affectionate father. So he, he does comfort us, absolutely. But his goal for our life is not our comfort. That's why we have idols, right? We go to idols for comfort. God is not comfortable. You see, Because God's goal for our life is not our comfort. It's our conformity. God's goal for our life is that we would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the plan. God's plan, God's design, his purpose in our lives is to make us like Jesus. And he will bring, he will allow Whatever it is he needs to bring, he will permit whatever it is that he needs to permit. He will do whatever it is that he needs to do to make us more like Jesus. And being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, what it means is that the whole, our whole basis for living life, our, our whole desire for life, it, it's not actually about our comfort, <laughs> it, it's about Jesus. Does that sound vaguely familiar? You know, the, this Christianity thing, malarkey, it's, it's all about Jesus. Does that ring any bells? God's plan for our lives is not our comfort. God's goal, God's plan for our lives is to help us to become more like his precious son, Jesus. His, his goal, his plan in our lives is to, is to bring to the service, to call out, all of the things that he's deposited in us before he formed us, and before you were formed in your mother's womb, we I knew you, there's this purpose and plan for every single one of us. And, and the goal for our lives is to call all of the stuff that he's deposited in us out. God's goal is to bring, drag, sometimes kicking and screaming, to the surface the things that he's hidden in our hearts. So that at some point in our lives, um, we realize that even in the middle of um, sometimes incredibly difficult circumstances, we recognize that we no longer have to avoid those things. We no longer have to be afraid of those things. We no longer have to feel intimidated by those things. Um, we no longer have to avoid difficulty or challenge because actually we wake up and realize that, do you know what? God has made me more than a conqueror. Wow. I, I've been reading about it for years, but I actually now I am a more, more than a conqueror. Why? It's true. When we first come to faith, when we first come to Jesus, when we first meet Jesus, God, in his kindness and his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his loving kindness, he shows up to comfort us again and again and again and again and again. He holds us and he nurtures us and he cares for us and he, he just loves on us. And he carries on doing that. He carries on doing that all the way through our lives because He is kind, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's loving. But what starts to happen is through the process of life um, and uh, through the, the situations that we face and the difficulties that we have, uh, through the scriptures, uh, through all kinds of other things, the Spirit of God begins to lead us. Our the, the, the Father begins to teach us. He begins to uh, teach us and transform us and slowly but surely transform us into the image of his precious Son, Jesus. He begins to conform us to the image of his Son. We no longer conform to the pattern of this world. But our minds are renewed. So God wants to do so much more in us and through us than we could ever ask or imagine. Uh, Sometimes the problem with all of this is that, you know, when God's doing something in our hearts, uh, it's like life suddenly got doubly hard. You know, Um, life is hard enough on its own, let alone when God is doing major heart surgery. And it's usually in those moments. You know, when our circumstances, our situations are all going to pot, like they are here with the Israelites in Exodus 14, it's usually or it's often in those situations that our emotional experience of God begins to falter. Our emotional experience of God begins to struggle. Um, and, And we find ourselves a little bit at sea. Have a look at, you see this happening in verse 10, right? Verse 10 of Exodus 14 As Pharaoh approaches, the Israelites look up, and there are the Egyptians. Like, look, Egyptians marching after us. And they were terrified. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to the desert to die? Uh, What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. They only beat us 50 times a day. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And wanted, desperate to go back to Egypt, which is why God had brought them the kind of long way around, because he knew that if he brought them the short way at the beginning of, uh, end of chapter 13, he knew that if he brought them the short way, they would have just gone back. So God had brought them this long convoluted way because they couldn't go back. But they're like, oh, let's go back to Egypt. It's awesome in Egypt. With the Egyptian horde kind of bearing down on them, it all suddenly gets a little bit real and a little bit scary. And it's the same for us. And it's the same for us, especially when our faith is based on an emotional experience of God. And what I mean by that is that when we base our faith and our confidence in who God is and who we are in God on our feeling of his nearness and his dearness, if we base our faith on that feeling, when things get tricky, when things get difficult difficult when challenge comes which inevitably it will if we're somebody who bases our faith in God on those feelings we're likely to find those experiences doubly hard because what usually happens when things get tricky is the feeling of god's presence begins to lift anyone ever experienced that life is really hard and the the, the, the feeling of God's presence is like and heaven suddenly became like a lead ceiling. God is still very present, but it can feel like he's nowhere to be seen. Have a look down at um, verse 19. Israelites are in the middle of this incredibly hard time. Pharaoh's pursuing them. The Egyptians are chasing them, and Pharaoh's going to kill them. And verse 19 says this, then the angel of the Lord, the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army. The angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army. See, up until this point, the angel of God had been traveling in front. He was in front of the army. Now, if you've got something in front of you, you're like, that's great. I can see you over there. You're just in front of me. Do you see? I think, got, I think I can hear horses and chariots behind me. I'm going to keep my eyes focused on what's in front of me because the angel of the Lord is over there. And it's great. It's really helpful. So this whole time... They could see that God was with them. They could sense that God's presence was there. They could kind of literally reach out and touch. But when the enemy begins to chase them, the enemy's hot on their heels behind them. See what happens, verse 19, then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew. The angel of the Lord withdrew. You're kind of like, what? (laughs) He withdrew? And the angel of God withdrew and went behind them. So sometimes when we're going through hard times, it feels like God has withdrawn. Now, the problem with there being something behind you is that you can't actually see it. You can't actually see it unless you're going to turn around and face what's behind you. And sometimes we don't want to face what's behind us. And so what happens in these situations is God and the presence of God is there next to our enemies. So we're actually going to have to, if we want to see God, we're going to have to maybe look back into our past and into our challenge and into our difficulty and face the thing that's bearing down on us. And if we don't want to do that, sometimes we don't want to do that and we just keep our eyes fixed forward, but there's nothing in front of us anymore because the angel of the Lord has gone behind us. Thank you. And so we have this moment where the angel, the visible and tangible presence of God is lifted and we have this moment where seriously, we're like, seriously, God, like now, now, you know, when I need you most, this is the point at which you choose to withdraw. I need you most, and I feel you least. Mm. This is the moment I really need you. I, I don't know what I'm going to do to get through this. Now, of course, he's never really left us because his promise is that he will never leave us or forsake us. It feels sometimes like he has. And if you um, if you have a look at just bear with me. Um, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? There's a thing here in Exodus 14. He says this. Look, so uh, Verse 19. Then the angel of the Lord, who'd been traveling in front of Israel, withdrew, went behind them, and the pillar of cloud also moved from in front of them. They've be, been traveling around. There's a pillar of cloud, you know, fire and cloud going with them um, by day and by night. Symbol of the presence of God. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. But he's doing it for a purpose. What's he doing? Verse 20. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. So it can feel like the presence of God has lifted. It's, and he has moved. God's gone behind us, but he's actually doing something. He's just doing something that we may not understand or know what it is. So what's really going on? Oh, my Lord, what's going on? What's what's God actually doing in these moments when he leads us into vulnerability, when he allows the enemy to encamp around us? What is actually going on when we find ourselves overcome with grief or loss or diagnosed with some life-threatening illness, or in trouble in our marriages, or facing challenges at work, or in difficulty with our finances, or in difficulty with our children, or through any of the endless troubles that we will have that is in this life. In the midst of all of that, what God is planning, what God is purposing, what God is intending is something far greater than our comfort. Far greater than our comfort. Have a look at verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you only need to be still. Awesome. Wow. That's good to know. Stand firm, do not be afraid, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. You see, everything that the enemy brings against our lives, God uses to make us bigger. Everything the enemy brings against our lives, God uses to make us bigger. You'll be familiar with Romans 8.28. All things work together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We have to remember That everything that the enemy brings against our lives, God redeems because he's in the redemption business. He redeems and he turns it into something wonderful. Um, Don't turn to it now. Genesis chapter 50. um, After Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers right, have sold him into slavery. He's... um, they become jealous of his amazingly Technicolor dream coat, right? And so they chuck him into a pit. They're going to kill him, but one of them says, no, don't kill him, just chuck him in a pit. And after they've sold him into slavery and Joseph's ended up in Egypt, he's been imprisoned and he's been through all the stuff he's been through, all the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs. Get to Genesis chapter 50, last chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, there's been a famine and the brothers have come desperate for food. Joseph says this, he says, you, you lot, you intended to harm me. Remember when you were jealous of me? You remember when you sold me into slavery? You knew you were going to throw me in that pit and you were going to let me die. You knew, you know when you let the the slave traders pick me up and you had no idea what was going to happen to me? While I ended up languishing in an Egyptian jail for I don't know how many years, you intended to harm me. But, he says in verse 20, God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And this morning, I want to encourage all of us, all of us who have been going through a challenging time, all of us who have found the past year difficult, those of us who are going through a hard time now, I want to encourage you uh, to take heed of Moses' words in Exodus 14 verse 13. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the Lord, the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, some of the things that you see today, some of the things that are causing you fear and anxiety, the things that are hot on your heels, the breath of the enemy that's literally breathing down your neck, the Egyptians you see today, you will not see again. You will not see again because the Lord is going to fight for you. You just need only to stand and be still. Take heart, take to heart the words of Joseph. You intended this to harm me. You intended this to harm me, but God intended it for good. He works everything together for good for those who love him according to his purposes. He intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Who'd have thought it? I want to encourage you to seek out and to search out for what God might be purposing in our lives. You see, because God's plan for your life is bigger than the pain in your life. Uh, God is awesome at redeeming pain. He is a master at taking what the enemy has used against us and defiled and damaged and destroyed and robbed and stole it. And he is a master at taking that and redeeming it and turning it and transforming it into something wonderful and beautiful. Turning it all around, building our lives up through the very experience that the enemy was using to try and take us out. And so the very thing that you're wrestling with, the very thing that you may have been wrestling with, might actually well prove to be your mission and your mandate from the Father. If we're just not be afraid if we'll just choose to stand firm we will see the deliverance of the lord if we allow god to come into the middle of our challenge not only will he turn it around but what happens is he begins uh, to bring our calling he begins to bring our mission and our purpose and our mandate to the surface and often we've seen it time and time and time and time and time again that the very thing that was was designed to take the person out becomes the very thing that God redeems and uses to bring God's redemption and salvation to other people. And so people's journeys and their experiences become the very thing that God uses to bring life and hope to people in their darkness and in their distress. So how we handle our hearts, how we handle um, ourselves in the midst of all of this trouble uh, we face can make a huge difference. And it can become a determining factor on whether our lives are just going to get lived for ourselves or whether our lives are going to have impact and significance and help others through their struggle. And as we've reflected, and I'll stop saying it, we've reflected over the past year, one of the things that we've been so incredibly impressed by is the way that so many of you, so, so many of you have handled your hearts so incredibly well. Through some really, really difficult situations and circumstances, some of you over the last twelve months—some of you have been through your darkest, some of your darkest moments. Do you know what? From where we've stood, our privileged position, where we've stood, um, we've actually seen you shining at your most brightest. You've—you've. Um, you've, some of you've been through difficult situations, and yet you've chosen not to be afraid. You've chosen to stand firm. And you've seen the deliverance of the Lord. You've seen the Lord fight for you. You've seen the Lord revealing his purpose and his plans for you in the midst of it all. And now the Lord is going to use you. The, Lord's going to, the Lord is getting you ready to use you um, and the things that you've been through to bring life and hope to the people around you.